This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, Andre. It is a pleasure to have you on. You and I have had a great chance to catch up uh, just before hitting record. And I want to know, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Philip? Doing good, man. Doing good. I think the listeners are in for a treat. Uh, from what I've gathered, just being able to talk to you before hitting record, you are a very, very prepared person, which means you're also prepared to deliver value. Uh, and that's something that I can really appreciate. And I'll tell you why as we get into the conversation. But it is tradition here to start the show by asking something very important. For context, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? I do. I'd love that. Okay, now, I guess, I guess you want me to elaborate. My mother uh, was an entrepreneur and so was my father. And how did that sort of shape your view of the world as you were growing up and what was possible? Oh, well, in a number of ways. First and foremost, I didn't really internalize the fact that my parents had been entrepreneurs until I actually personally became an entrepreneur and then kind of remembered some of the stories, or not even stories, but things that I observed in my early childhood observing them. But in terms of uh, how did it shape me, uh, I think my appetite, my appetite for risk is a lot higher than most and probably higher than it should be. <laughs> That's a different story <laughs> altogether, right? Um, and it also has, especially because my father was um, a major global traveler uh, when I was a kid, it kind of opened me up to this desire to travel the world. And, and I have. I, I've lived across three continents. I've worked across three continents. I've moved from New York City to Hong Kong to start a business on a whim, uh, quitting my investment banking career on Wall Street and, and, and doing that. So, you know, again, risk appetite and, and love for the world and, and its cultures and languages and ideas and bringing something to market and seeing it grow. All of that has, I guess, come out of my upbringing. Wow. Uh, that's heavy stuff, man. And I can really appreciate that you're aware of that as well. You know, sometimes I ask people that question and they're like, let's see. But yeah, you were pretty aware of that. It feels like you've taken some time to reflect on how that has actually impacted you, which is usually a clear sign of someone who's constantly growing. So my question to you is, <laughs> my question to you is, see, I have my notes here that you have a background in tech and defense investment uh, as a banker, domestic banker, I mean, congressional advisor, Forbes contributor, right? Harvard National Cybersecurity Policy, you know, Wharton Finance. Are you kidding me? You know, cyber defense chairman, you know, you're looking. So when you put all that experience together, right, That that's pretty, that's like, you don't get that kind of resume without being extremely calculated about what you're doing. So where does where does this come from? Because obviously you have you have this 
you have this appetite for risk, right? Which is healthy as an entrepreneur, maybe. And most successful entrepreneurs go, I could really use it. Most entrepreneurs that are really successful always say the same thing to me after 2000 conversations. It's, you know, I could use a couple of self-limiting beliefs. The problem is I don't have any of those, right? So, but where, where do you think that really comes from? Because it's not always just your origin story. Do you have a moment uh, that maybe in your college years or high school years, maybe even younger, uh, or maybe after a failed business that's sort of created that appetite? I've had many, many, many such crucible moments. Part of it comes out of perseverance and perseverance comes out of failures or perceived failures or comparing yourself to your siblings or, or whoever. So I could point to an example, when I was in, in elementary school and I was living in the shadow of a brother who was a super high performer, and I said, well, you know what, if, if every teacher is going to like him, then I'm just going to be a poor student. And then all of a sudden, I get a teacher that says, you know what, Setnarski, I expect way better from you from now on. I don't want to see a single C, it's straight A's. And all of a sudden, somebody yanked me by my ego and... All of a sudden, I started performing. Okay, so that's that's one example. Second is moving from Poland at the age of 14, speaking not a single word of English to, to New York and, and being dumped into a English-speaking-only environment and saying sink or swim to then being the only student in a junior high school in Greenpoint uh, uh, in, in Brooklyn that passed the... Uh, New York State Regents uh, uh, exam in, in earth science. And the teacher gets up and says, the only person that passed the damn exam is the person that barely speaks English. Because <laughs> right? that was my first year in the United States, right? So it's those kinds of crucible moments where you're you're faced with a serious challenge and it doesn't matter what it takes. You just go at it and at it and at it and at it until you have broken through. And as you're trying to break through, you find out that, yep, you've got certain limiting beliefs that you need to break through. You've got other BS stories that you need to look yourself in the eyes uh, in the mirror and say, you know what, what am I really made of? Am I going to succeed or am I going to fail? Who am I, whom am I going to prove right? Who am I going to prove wrong? Etc. So yeah, looking at those crucible moments in all of our lives is critical. Self-reflection is a must. Oh, wow. You know, I would have never known that because listening to you, uh, you are completely able to pass off as someone native to, to English speaking, which is <laughs> incredible, you know, because I, you know, I, I'm half Latino and, uh, and half American, you know, on my mom's side. Ah, look at this, man. Yeah, almost <laughs> everyone who's not American can just fluently speak multiple languages. What and <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I used to live in New York and, it is just a different town. I'm in LA now and, you know, I, I, now I know yeah. what LA is and now I know what New York is and New York is just a different breed, but for, to yeah. know that you cut your teeth there and that, I mean, you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's true, man. And when I, when I hear you speak, I, I can just hear the, the tenacity in your spirit, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really what I'm trying to get to is how can I borrow that, that, DNA and leave it for the listener. If you, if you yourself were to just dig deep and sit for a second and go, okay, if I didn't have this as part of my personality right now, 
everything I'm doing would be a lot harder to manage. What do you think that is? Early morning routine, evening routine, habits that make execution on a day-to-day basis, not only supportive of your goals, but supportive of actual execution. If you don't have those three, it's a very difficult life. So let's be, let's be more specific. I have to meditate in the morning. I have to do my incantations in the morning. That sets me apart from the, the whirlwind of the world. I have to have my quiet time. And I used to fight that because I've always been so busy, 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 busy to, to assistance, you know, as I'm, as I'm walking from the office to the car, to the, to, to the tarmac or whatever it is. And that quiet time in the morning to just do nothing, think about nothing and just sit, recenters me. And then as I go through the day, having break moments where I do the same thing, or I listen to something, a podcast, or whatever, right? In other words, you have to develop your own toolkit that supports your best version of yourself. I see a commitment to the best version of yourself. And constantly question what that best version of yourself is. Amplified through or having a habit that is symbolic of your commitment to your greatest, right? The best version of yourself and a commitment to it through some kind of habit, some kind of ritual. You have to, at the very least, be able to physically exhibit that commitment to yourself uh, because otherwise it is easy to just be reactive. And and I see that. Uh, there's, there's a strong uh, leaning towards being proactive that seems to be the the theme or the trend and and making the conscious seems to be what I'm hearing. Um, because I know that we are we are we are in a tight uh, a tight end here. Uh, I want to make sure that I do a couple of things uh, because it is important. Uh, what is the most important thing someone can know about the work that you're doing today? Well, the the, the listening audience are all entrepreneurs. If there's one thing that I would like to impart into all of you guys is if you're doing something important, if there's intellectual property involved, or it's a new idea that competitors would want to get a handle on, become cyber secure. Okay. I launched a company out of Hong Kong that somebody wanted so much so that they hacked us through a disinformation campaign against us. And all of a sudden, as an entrepreneur that's built a company from zero to $25 million, I found myself shutting that company down because of a cyber breach. And not because we weren't cyber secure from a technology perspective, but rather because we didn't realize that this thing called a culture of cybersecurity from the board all the way down to the entrepreneur and all the employees is something that is real and needs to be tended to. So does every employee, does the, the executive uh, themselves, does your board, right? Do those people behave cybersecurity? And secondly, do you all have a strategy of cybersecurity for your organization that if somebody does want to come after you, whether it's a garage geek hacker or a nation state hacker that wants your IP to sell it on the dark web for God knows how much, therefore wiping your intellectual property out, you've got to be prepared for that. And so stepping away from that uh, situation, I built an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity for companies, for governments, starting from the United States all across 
um, our allies across the globe precisely because entrepreneurs are vulnerable, especially entrepreneurs are vulnerable because you generally are running so fast. You think that you don't have the time to mind your cybersecurity. Hackers know that. They love to take advantage of that. That's super important, man. Uh, I know for a fact that especially many bootstrapped businesses, it's the last thing on their mind, just like most of their paperwork. <laughs> I'm a living example that what you just said is 100% right. And it's, you have to pay attention to it. And yeah, you have to pay attention to it. And what better way than to get a hold of you? So before I roll out the red carpet for you to tell people where to connect with you, I just want to make sure that I give a shout out to someone who made this conversation possible. Uh, it's a company by the name of Stillwater Hemp. All right. And as you as you know, in the name, they run a CBD company, uh, CBD products. They're all about self-care and all that. And they've really focused on creating products that not only you, but even your pets can enjoy. So they thought about your family life. If everyone's going to be CBD, talk about a culture of cybersecurity, a culture of self-care, right? Through treats. <laughs> so it's edibles and creams for like aching joints, whatever it is you got going on. Believe it or not, that's one of the businesses that's inside of our community. And they love the show so much that they became a partner and helped create the longevity of the show. And so if you're interested in that, whether it's you want to white label the products because you're into creating products and selling them and flipping them, they can help you get that going with a private label for yourself and even give you $100 off your first order because you're listening to this. Uh, or otherwise, if you're just looking to buy the stuff and they even have non-CBD stuff online or in person, you can go to their website and uh, you can put in War Room, uh, the code, and get 10% off. So make sure to look it up, Stillwater Hemp. It's that simple. Uh, with that said, and big shout out to Melanie Kossan, I want to make sure that people know where to get a hold of you, Andre, because even Stillwater Hemp, what does their security stack look like, right? Any business that's listening probably is looking over right now at their tech guy, the IT person that's somewhere in the back or maybe not even present. They just have a partner that they sometimes see. Uh, I know I've been a part of startups where we don't know what these guys are doing, but we know that we pay them. <laughs> What's it's, interesting is technology is barely 3 to 15% of cybersecurity. Whoa. That's exactly. Important. And that's the biggest misunderstanding across boards of directors, not just in startups. We deal with boards as sophisticated as the National Association of Corporate Directors. Now you're talking about multi-billion dollar companies. And the misconception is that the CISO, in other words, the chief information security officer, is the person that is the end-all, be-all of cybersecurity of an organization. No. As Jen Easterly, who's now the director of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, under the Department of Homeland Security, rightly said in front of world leaders in Munich earlier this year, what I've been preaching for the last five years, she said, cybersecurity is ultimately not about technology, but about people and culture. And IBM went further to say that nearly, right, so somewhere between 85 to 97% of cybersecurity breaches happen not because of cyber insecure technologies and what CISOs and, and technology teams should and shouldn't be doing, but because of cyber insecure behaviors from the board down. And culture always starts with the founder and the board. 
So if you get that culture of cybersecurity wrong at the founder level, you're propagating it through poor habits throughout your entire organization. Start with you. Oh, that's so big. It reminds, you know, it's funny. Estonia, I remember watching a documentary of them jumping full board, like full on board internet, everything, the entire country, I believe. And I could be wrong, but I believe it was Estonia. And in the documentary, it was tracking them long enough that eventually, you know, people were using their phones for literally accessing like government administration things like like their, their social security, things of that nature. It all lived on their phone. But it, even though the whole country had internet running everything and every and internet Wi-Fi was free and it was all high speed, they were also the first to be attacked and well, breached. And what they did was they opened up, they used that as a PR opportunity and opened up to the world and said, any engineers that want to come on board and any other professionals who can help us understand and make this a more secure uh, experiment, which is what we're doing here, we're, we're welcoming you with open arms. I know for a fact they're going to be leading the way in, in, in a large capacity. Now, I saw that years ago. I don't know if you heard of that and where they are now, but it is guaranteed to be one of the most interesting countries coming up. So we didn't talk about this part of my background, but I grew up as a congressional staffer to Congresswoman Carol Maloney out of New York. She, she just she, uh, She's just leaving Congress, as a matter of fact, um, at the age of whatever, I think close to 80 and I also uh, spent, obviously, time on Wall Street as a tech and airspace and defense investment banker. But the story about Estonia is an interesting one from a couple of perspectives. First, I know Thomas Heinrich, the, the president of Estonia, um, uh, personally, and he was president when Estonia was going digital. And the conversation that I had with him in 2017 or 2018, I want to say, I think it was 2018, was actually about the, the corollary between physical organizations versus physical versus digital versus cybersecure. And the analogy that I would leave all of you with is always think of yourself as a founder or fiduciary in bigger company terms of three organizations, not one. First one is physical, second, digital, third, cybersecure. So first, if you're not taking your company from the physical realm into the digital realm, now, most of you on this call, I'm assuming, are taking yourself from physical to digital. Good for you. But if you're going to do that, and first of all, if you're not going to do that, your competitors will. So you better do that. But if you're taking yourself from physical to digital, every single piece of your digitalization has to be cyber secured one for one. Because whatever you are not cyber securing, yet bringing digitally, you are exposing to hackers to breach you on. That was the mistake Estonia made. And that's the mistake I spoke with President Heinrich about. Estonia became digital overnight because they had to out of the hack. But they still weren't taking digital into cyber secure on a one-for-one -one basis, thereby still opening themselves up. A lot of countries are doing that, okay? So start thinking of your organizations from the perspective of how do I make my own organization cyber sovereign in cyberspace? How do I make it so, so that behaviorally, technologically, and in terms of our people, we are not opening up ourselves to hackers? Wow, that is big, man. 
the three organizations you don't know you run. Um, that's that. That's what this has to be called because it's true. Uh, there, there's two other organizations that most people aren't paying attention to, uh, that they don't even know they're running. And I and 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 I think it's important. And I can't thank you enough. Really turning our attention to something that's imperative for the future, for future proofing the work that we're all doing if we all consider ourselves entrepreneurs that are looking to create impact. Uh, so the red carpet. Where can people connect with you uh, to learn more about you or maybe even seek some of your services from your companies I'm very very easy to find go to just google my name or go to executive cybersecurity blueprint.com um consume all the information on that page because it is made for founders to learn about what you should be doing from a cybersecurity perspective it's not a sale it's about awareness building of what you need to be doing also you can find me at cybernationcentral.com or LinkedIn. I'm, a, I'm everywhere. So anywhere. Man, that's awesome. And if I could just hold you for one more second and ask you if you could have invited anybody to this conversation today based on some of the things we covered, your story, the work that you're doing today, and its imperativeness on all of our organizations, who would you have loved to have had here and why? <laughs> you know, I have the... the utmost privilege of, of meeting some of the most wonderful dignitaries and CEOs every day. And so that's a hard question to, to ask and answer. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, I've met Barack Obama many times, uh, and he's always struck me as a leader that's really cool, knows how to kick it, but is super smart. Also went to the University of Chicago, although I guess he taught there, whereas I went there. So maybe there's a difference there. But, but just just a breath of fresh air in terms of personal interaction um, and 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 global leadership. So maybe him. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> no man, uh, you you are you are a multifaceted person. I get that sense, and as I learn more about you, as you continue to open up in this conversation, I can see why. Uh, I'm very grateful that I had the chance to cross paths with you, uh, although it was brief. I hope it isn't the last time you and I chat. Uh, it would have been impossible to get a, a complete narrative for one from one conversation with you because I know that there is a lot that was left unsaid. However, what you did say was pivotal, was important, and was valuable. So I appreciate that the effort you went to to make sure that was done. Uh, it means a lot. And thank you. That's all I can say for stopping by. My pleasure. And again, find me on LinkedIn. I know my name has every letter in it you could imagine, but. A-N-D-R-Z-E-J, last name C-E-T-N-A-R-S-K-I. Find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. Uh, make sure you tell me that you heard me on this podcast because otherwise I get, I get maybe not hundreds, but tons of requests every single day. So just distinguish yourself through this podcast. Would love to get to know you. If I can help in any way, reach out. Ah, love it. Andre, thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.